Jesus, verse 21, Jesus saith unto the woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for here it is, salvation is of the Jews. Now here it comes. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you. And I thank you, Father, for the privilege today to open up your book to these great people. And Lord, I thank you for the moms and the dads in our church that, that uh, are just really, uh, they amaze me of how good they are with their kids. And I just appreciate it so much. What a testimony it is to the preaching and the teaching that, uh, that they get here. Uh, and I just pray, Father, that your blessings will be upon all that we do today. In Jesus' name, for sake we ask it, amen. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I want to build a message around what he's saying to her in John chapter 4, verse 21 and 24. And I want to focus on a number of things, but on the key element here uh, of, of, of the church age that we're in today and our key relationship with Christ. And that's going to be our worship. Now, I don't know if you know it yet or not, and we're really not going to get into that part this today, but if you want a definitive passage, and you know I'm big on definitive passages. I think there's a definitive passage for every aspect of the Bible, and that's how you understand what he's saying by finding a definitive passage. What I'm telling you right now, if you want the definitive passage on worship, it's John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 in particular. But we're not going to deal with that just today. Uh, we're going to look at it. Uh, we're going to look at it from from another aspect here, and uh, we're going to deal with something that I think is the number one issue today in in the church age. And I want you uh, to completely understand this, you know. Uh, but first, I must take today, and I got to lay a foundation for you. I could just get up here and lay out for you, you know, and just go on for hours about the mess that we're all in in Christianity and the danger to your family and the danger to your marriage and the danger to your own life. And that's fine. We're going to get into some of that. <clears throat> but if you don't learn how <clears throat> we got into the mess we're in, you're never going to be able to stand up to it to lead your family through it. And that's my case. The times that we face as God's people, and for you moms today, when your kids are young and small, you're the key. There's no question about that. You're the key to what they're going to be when they're two or three years old. You're the key to what they're going to be when they're 15 or 16. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Dad will pick it up later. Dad needs to be in support of it. But let's face it. If the bottom line is it, it's, a, it's, a, it's it, that responsibility that you build into them. And I'm telling you right now, we're under attack, not just here, all across Christianity. And so I want you to learn uh, and build this foundation for you today so as we move into it next week, you have a better understanding of it. The lessons of history. <clears throat> After my, we celebrated a couple of weeks ago my 50 years in the ministry, and I appreciate that. But I got to tell you, once I began to get into the Bible and learn my Bible, <clears throat> and that was about five or six years into it maybe, I began to realize the importance of learning history. Now, I was never good in school. I, I, I never was. I was, I was my, but my main, I, I was good in English and I was good in history. Everything else, forget it. Uh, but it's a thing where <clears throat> God used that in my life because once I began to unlock the Bible, I saw that you can't really understand the Bible without understanding history. And most of God's people don't want that today. I've said it many, many times. If you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know where you've come from and you don't know where you're going, don't kid me that you know where you're at. It's a thing where that God's people today don't have time for that. Pastors never talk about it. 
They're too busy building humongous buildings and trying to squeeze every dime out of you. They want to get everything they can from you, but you're the one that's got to face tomorrow. You're the one that's got to raise your kids in this hellhole that we're facing around the world. You're the ones who got to, got to build into your children and your marriage and your own personal relationship. And I learned that if I want to understand where I'm at, if I want to understand where this is all going, then I need to learn the lessons of history. And then somebody said one time years and years ago, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, the only thing men never learn from history is that they never learn anything from history. And so I began to look at some things, and I began to watch some things, and I, I saw that back in the Old Testament, after David's reign and Solomon's reign, and Solomon, you know, God takes the kingdom from him. And then we see his son and one of his generals, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they take over the kingdom, and they divided the kingdom. Now the kingdom is, 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 is Jerusalem, the ten northern tribes, and Judah, the ten two southern tribes. And they're divided now. you find that in 1 Kings chapter oh, 10, 11, and 12. And then I began to see that from that point on, the nation of Israel began a, spir- a downward spiral, a demise in everything that they once knew. And it was going to end with them going into the captivity of the world system. And that happened. Solomon's on the throne. David's on the throne about 1,000 B.C. They go into captivity around northern tribes, 587, southern tribes around 606. 400 years. In 400 short years, the nation of Israel is finished. The world comes in and swallows them up, and the Bible gives us, <laughs> for historical studies and biblical studies, the next greatest timepiece in the Bible, the times of the Gentiles, which we're still living in today. And I began to see, as the spiral went down, that Israel lost all the great truth that God had given them. Their value system was completely eradicated, completely gone. By the time you get into Chronicles and Kings, you'll find, and I told you this before, how that when they, when they took conquered countries, that God required some of the gold and the silver and the vessels to be put in a treasury, and they were dedicated to him because he gave them the victory. And they, were, they, were, they put them in a storage place. And they're called the hallowed things. They're called the dedicated things. And they were only for God. And I told you how that that represents the special secret things that God puts into your life. The things that he gives you. Starting with your salvation and then the blessings, the promises and everything that God gives you. What did they do? As this spiral down began to unfold... You'll find the kings of Israel taking those hallowed things, those dedicated things that belonged to God and gave them to the godless kings that were the pagan nations. Many times they gave to them to buy them off so they wouldn't come in and conquer them. But it's a picture of what God's people are doing today with the very things that God gave us, giving them to the world. I told you before how back in Numbers chapter 21, you want a good study on worship? Numbers chapter 21, when the fiery serpents were biting the people and they were dying and God told Moses to make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and anybody that looked at that would, and that was a type of Christ, death on the cross. But then I showed you how in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, that was one of the hallowed things and the dedicated things. Now Israel has gotten so far down, they took that brazen serpent out that God gave them for them salvation, and then they gave it a name of a pagan, godless, false god, and now they're worshiping it. You'll go back to Matthew chapter 1, and in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find the genealogy of the kingly line. 
And by this time, when this demise is taking place, the kingly line has totally corrupted itself and now has lost any reality of God within the political system of the nation of Israel. We want to talk about their worship, the priesthood, the men that God ordained in the Old Testament to be the, to, to be the providers of everything that Israel had that pertained to God. The sacrifices, the tabernacle, in time the temple. Now they're totally corrupt. And they have connected themselves with Baal worship. And everything that God once gave them that was holy and hallowed, that kept them to be God's people, by the time you get to 606, gone. Who knows that today? Who of God's people knows that? And even more tragic, who of God's people cares? As long as you can go to a church where they put on a Super Bowl halftime program for you with dancer belly dancers and break dancers and everybody up there singing and just acting like it's the world, you're okay with that. You do not understand what is happening before your eyes. Mother's Day, here's the truth. Now, when this began to happen, all of the prophets, God sent them prophets. We know them as the major prophets and the minor prophets. And all of the prophets are sent by God to the nation of Israel. And they're sent to them to bring them back from the apostasy that they are in. But they have rejected the truth of God and they're only getting worse. And before you can see where we're at and where we're going, you need to learn the lessons of history and see where it's been. And the only way, moms, you're going to preserve your family, the only way you're going to keep those kids from going the way of the world and the world destroying them is to see what happened in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament prophets, they, they give us a glimpse, just a glimpse of how bad it really was. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14, Isaiah tells us that truth has now fallen in the streets. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, Isaiah continues on, and he says that the nation of Israel is filled with unrighteous decrees. The writer Hosea, when he wrote in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, you know what the problem with Israel is? There's no truth, there's no mercy, and there's no knowledge of God. Amos, he wrote in Amos chapter 8 in verse 11, and he says, there's a famine in the land, but not a famine of bread and water, but a famine of hearing of the words of God. That always amazed me. He never said there was a famine of the Word of God that it wasn't there. It's there. He says the famine is nobody wants to hear it anymore. And then I get over to Proverbs chapter 28 verse 5 where he says that there's no understanding of God's judgment in the world today. Second Chronicles chapter 15 verse 3 says, Now for a long season... Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. Malachi chapter 1 verse 7, Malachi when he wrote, he says to the nation of Israel, you offer polluted bread upon mine altars. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? They don't even get it. And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, when Haggai wrote, he saw the real issue probably better than the rest, or at least he wrote it. Maybe they all saw it, but at least he wrote it. We see in his writings the end result of 200 plus years of a nation turning their back on the truth of God and now its effect on God's people. Because he says in 2 3 to the nation of Israel, who's left among you? that saw this house in its first glory. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as it is nothing? You know what he's saying? 
He's saying, <clears throat> how many of you people now in a deep posse that you're in know what real temple worship was right under Solomon and David? Who of you today <clears throat> who are in the demise of this mess about to go into captivity, who of you remember and have a comparison of what was really real so you can see what you have now isn't real. My, my, my. Any of this sound familiar to you today? The lessons that God's people better learn. And I'll tell you this too, I'll just throw this in. We follow the first sign of trouble. If you got a trained eye, <clears throat> way back, <clears throat> we saw before this thing ever split with Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all the Boam boys, before this thing ever happened, we saw the beginning of trouble back in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38, and then 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. You know where the trouble began? <clears throat> Solomon is building the temple, <clears throat> and the Bible tells you, <clears throat> the Bible tells you that <clears throat> he is seven years Seven years in 1 Kings 6, 38, seven years in building the temple of God. And then in the next chapter, 7, 1, he says, but he was 13 years building his own house. You know, that's the problem with God's people today. We spend more time building our house, the things that we want, than we ever worry about building the temple of God that you are inside you. That's where it started. And I'm going to tell you right now, the mess that we're in, that's where it started. God's people put more emphasis on the things they wanted to build for themselves than ever thought about building the things that God gave you. Now, around here, we have discipleship, discipleship two. We have the, all the different principal classes. We have the Bible Institute. We have the people ministry. We have everything you need. You know what those things are for? There for one reason, to help you build God's temple, your body, more than the physical things of this life. And, uh, and he's telling them in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, that where they're at now, there is no comparison to what it really should be. And they have lost God and the power of God. I mean, nothing's left. Nothing is left to show anybody what the real nation of Israel looked like. Israel had lost its identity. <clears throat> Israel had lost <clears throat> its purpose. Israel had lost its perspective. Israel had lost God. And the most tragic thing about this, they've lost their future. And the book of Haggai they saw a temporary revival under Ezra and Nehemiah, didn't they? But 20 years later, when Haggai writes, they've stopped building. And you know what they're doing? They're taking all the material that was used for building God's temple. Now they're building their own houses with it. That sound familiar to anybody? Or was that just me? And today in 2021 we find the New Testament church and Christianity in the exact same condition. And we were told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we were told that the things that happened to the nation of Israel, they, all that they went through was for our examples and for our examples that those things wouldn't happen to us. And as in Malachi chapter 1 verse 7, God's people didn't even see it. The prophet says, hey, you know what? You got polluted bread and a polluted altar. And they said, what are you talking about? We love Jesus. We go to church every Sunday. And he said, yeah, and it's contemptible. Because we've lost our comparison of what real Bible Christianity is. We have no real revivals in this country. Oh, I know. Well, my church, Brother Bob, my church, don't, don't mistake, no comparison. Don't mistake what a real revival is in history with Billy Sunday or early on with Billy Graham. Don't mistake that for a few people getting saved in a disease-ridden vineyard because it ain't the same. 
America hasn't seen a revival since 1940, 1950. A real one. So revivals are gone. No real ministries are being done. No real pastors are standing in the pulpit preaching. No real churches are taking their stand and preparing their people to do the work of God. And unfortunately, we are, don't have many real Christians. We've forgotten what once was true. And there certainly is no real worship. We are living in a time in America when everything we once know and believed is being changed right before our eyes. As we speak, taken from us, and nobody even knows what's happening or cares. We witness in our own country, it's being dismantled piece by piece right before our very eyes. And you know what? I know how it works. All the, all the Republicans blame the Democrats and all the Democrats blame the Republicans. That's an easy way out. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, <laughs> I'm not looking for, the government that I'm looking for is the one that Jesus Christ is going to bring in. I'm not under any illusion that anything that man's going to come up with, it's going, it may be better than some other, but at the end of the day, the best one you can ever have is when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords come through that eastern gate and says, okay, boys, here I am. And I, and I see it all the time, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans say, and most, uh, you know, conservative guys, Democrats want to stay in power. So they want to let all the illegal aliens in because when the illegal aliens come in, you know, they're going to take care of them and then they're going to vote for, and they want to stay in power forever. I saw last week where some Democratic guy was demonizing the Republicans and saying that the Republican Party was worse than Al-Qaeda or worse than the Taliban. See, that's where it's going. And it's a thing where, uh, you know, everybody looks at that and they think, wow, this is a power play. This is politics. You're out of your mind. You don't know very much about the Bible. This thing isn't about the Democrats or the Republicans. This thing is God is finished with a godless nation and he's turned it over to the world. And I'm going to tell you right now, what is going on before your very eyes is nothing more than God setting it up for the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And just like God's people to walk around with their head in the cloud and not knowing the times they're living, that day's going to come. The most confusing day of your life as a Christian is going to be the day of the rapture. When you blow up and you stand up there before God, the first thing you're going to do is look for your car keys. You're going to say, oh, what happened to my cell phone? You're going to be a stranger in a place that you ought to be familiar with. You say, I've never been to heaven. That book is filled with it. It tells you what to look for. It tells you what's going to happen. And every morning I get up, brother, I'm looking for it. It ain't going to take me by surprise. But just like in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, people are going to wonder, where am I? What happened? I think I saw an episode on the Twilight Zone like this way back in the day. And I want you to know, I completely understand it. I'm not here to get you to completely understand that I'm here just to preach the truth. Happy Mother's Day. But at the end of the day, I know where God is at in all of this because I've known where he's been through history. It's just that simple. Isaiah, again, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the prophet that told the godless people of the nation of Israel, you know what he told them? He said, you have made evil good and you've made good evil. Welcome to modern-day America. You see a plan in place and being put in place. And, and you know me. I'm not political. I am not, when I'm done with this section, you maybe better understand. I'm not political. I don't blame the Republicans and I don't blame the Democrats. I don't like either one of them. Anything an unsaved man does is going to come out bad someplace along the line. I'm not interested in unrighteous people trying to give righteous decrees. It never works. And I've never met a politician that claimed to be a Christian, and I thought he was never a Christian. You know what? Instead of getting up and telling people how great you are, I tell many people you won to Christ last week. I'd give them my favorite Bible verse out of the Bible. I'd get up, instead of giving them some political speech, I'd give them a nice devotion. 
about where America's at, what America needs to get back to. You won't see him doing that. You know why? You'll never win doing that. People don't want to hear the truth today. I grew up in a generation, some of you older folks did too, where that generation said, tell it like it is, tell it like it is, tell it like it is. And then when you told it, they didn't want to hear it. You see a plan to destroy in your children every aspect of this great nation. As I said earlier, they want to take away the concept mom and dad. They want to take away the concept of a family. They want to teach in school this cancel culture idea, and they want to teach your kids the reason why they want to erase all history of America, and they want to make America a terrible place and a bad place and a place that needs to be changed and believe before them because they're going to take that generation and put in their agenda of building the nation they don't want to build. And they'll teach America's bad. Why? So you can build a new America on your new value system that has nothing to do with God. Whether you know it or not. And here's the tragedy. This is what I mean. America is headed for a socialistic government. Now, I say that. Maybe that strikes fear in some of you. To me, it makes my day. I'm not preaching any of this in doom or gloom. I'm preaching this in anticipation any day now. I'm going to hear come up hither and out of here I am. And you can have what's left. And if you don't go in it, you come up next Sunday and we're not here. Hey, I'll leave my Bible here. Preach whoever's here a nice message. The progressive movement has one goal through a socialistic government. And again, I'm not political. I don't care. Is to get control of everything you've got. Big government running everything in your life doesn't depend on you, don't depend on God anymore. The big government's going to take care of it. And you know what the tragedy is? The kids, you kids, now you kids are a little different, but your average kids that are 18, 19, 20, 30, maybe even older than that, they have no idea what socialism is. They hear Bernie Sanders talking about it or somebody else talking about it, and then they equate it with the fact that, wow, what's so bad? I mean, I mean they're, going to give us, they're going to give us free money. They're going to give us free education. They're going to give us free health care, free child care, free unemployment. That Now, I don't even have, I make more money staying at home than I do finding a job and going to work. That's what they want. The pandemic, folks, is as drastic as it was. And God, I'm sorry that over 600,000 people died. I, I get it. I feel apathy for anybody who lost anybody. But it's just the beginning of where this thing is going. They want to bail out everything and everybody. They sent out stimulus checks. You got one last year for I don't know. And if you had a family of, man, now the more kids you have, the more money you got. And, and don't misunderstand me. The kids out there today think free money. It isn't free. It's your money that they're putting on the backs of your children with a definite that's going to be in the hundreds of trillions of dollars that is going to bankrupt this country. Don't misunderstand me. I took my check. I took her check. She didn't know it. I just signed my name to it and changed the most. She didn't need it. Here's my philosophy. You see, I, don't, I want you to leave here today knowing that I'm not political one way or the other. I don't care. Democrats or Republicans, it doesn't matter to me. You know what? In the stimulus checks and the country going, hey, this country is going down to the tubes. Here's how I look at it. It's going down the tubes. They're spending billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, throwing it there. And now they're, they're, there's all this second in, infrastructure stuff. You know, they're going to build bridges underneath the road so turtles can go underneath of it for $6 billion. I don't care. Let's get everything we can. Just tithe off of it. But get everything you can. Get everything you can. I mean, you might as well. Everybody else is. But I'm not under any illusion, you see. And kids today, they have no idea what socialism is. Look at South America. Look at Europe. It always is one step away from communism. 
a complete loss forever in the, in the freedoms that you have, that you give it up, and now the government takes care of every part of your need, and then they tell you what to do. Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm terrible, and I apologize for doing this, bringing the Bible in. Read sometime in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, what the wisest men that ever lived said about socialism. But who cares? You're back in the de- days of the American Revolution, one of our great patriots said, Give me liberty or give me death! Back in World War II, when the Nazis and the Japanese threatened the world, the cry was, Give me liberty! Today it's just, Give me. Give me. Today, President Biden, with all due respect, three or four or five years from now, it'll be Comrade Biden. Freedom of speech is now gone. Now they'll stop your Twitter account, which they should anyhow. They're going to shut down your social media account. That'd be the best thing that could happen to you probably. Your Facebook's going to go away. You'll be a faceless person now. My goodness. All because of the fact that you can't say what you really feel. You can't buy Dr. Seuss's book, The Cat in the Hat. I'm glad I got mine when I was four. You can't buy Dr. Seuss's books because they're racist, but you can still get a copy of Mein Kampf. Something wrong with that value system. And the church and pastors all across this country. Now, here comes my point. The big-time guys all across this, and they're around the area here, you know. They're going to scream over this stuff. They're going to scream about it. And they're already aligning up, you know, with the conservative movement against the Democrats. And, you know, if you're a Republican now, one for office, boy, you've got a lot of people you can just hitchhike off of. I'll stand for this and I'll stand for that. And you get a lot of couple hundred thousand votes out of it. But hear me out. Now, I don't normally like the word stupid. But the older I get, the more I love that word. These guys are... Now, listen, just hear me out before you make a judgment on what I just said. Here's why they are so stupid. And it just, it, it just goes back to the nation of Israel. And just learn the lessons of history. The government taking away who you are as an American and building you back into something different is exactly what the pastors and the teachers and the theologians did to destroy the roots of Christianity. When the devil wanted to destroy the country, he just took a page out of the playbook of how he destroyed Christianity. Let me ask you a question. I'll I'll prove it to you. Who were the Waldensians? Don't answer. Who were the Waldensians? When did they live? What was their greatest opposition? Let me ask you a question. Who were the Polyseans? Why were they called the Polyseans? Who were the Anabaptists? Why, why, why were they called Anabaptists? Who were the Moravians? Anybody know? Who were the Albigensians? Who were the, who were the Huguenots? Who were the, who were the Catherii? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? You know why you don't know that? Because Christianity has stolen from you your roots. And they want to make you into some blase blob of neo-evangelicalism that has absolutely no truth to it. So you don't know where you're going because they stole your roots from you. Now we want to blame the government for doing it with the country when that's what the leaders of Christianity did, just like Israel? Now, maybe you're okay with that. Maybe you don't want to know who these people are. Well, I can guarantee you at the judgment seat of Christ, they're not going to want to know who you are. And like the nation of Israel, New Testament Christianity has lost its identity. It's lost its true purpose. It's lost its true perspective. It's lost the true God. 
and any relevance of what real Christianity is because they lost their roots. And most churches today are a three-ring circus where the pastor is the head clown in the center ring. And you may upset me when I say that, but I just got one question. When's the last time you won somebody to Christ? When's the last time you sat down and worked with somebody in the Bible? Oh, did you, can I see your free pass card that you got when you got saved? That You don't have to do that? Did you get opt out of the Great Commission? Really? What happened in your own Christian life that someplace you just got off the side of the road and said, I don't care anymore. I'm not doing what God wanted me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I just want to know where you found that because I'll preach that next week and we can all take a break. And we have seen now 140 years of preaching, producing generation after generation of pastors, churches, Christians that have absolutely no roots or heritage of who they really are. And because they don't know where they are and see the urgency of their ancestors, you don't have any urgency where you're going. You're great people. You're nice people. You come to church every Sunday. But that's all you ever do. You're not interested in going any farther. You're not interested in letting God use you. And, and I'm, not, I'm not fighting it. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, look at me like Paul said. Because I, I, I'm your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yes, you will be. <laughs> I'll answer that for you. Now, we, like the nation of Israel, have completely lost our way. We've lost our kids. We've lost our families. We've lost our church. We've lost our ministry. And unfortunately, we've lost our country. And they don't even know it. I'll give you an example. Most churches today, big churches, and probably some of the normal churches today, everybody's into social drinking. <clears throat> they say it's okay to consume alcohol now as long as you become an alcoholic. And they, 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 they say it's okay to do that now, and you can drink, and you can okay to drink. <clears throat> I've seen them, pastors put their face on deal, drinking a beer, and say, don't judge me. Everybody likes to, everybody, I've seen staff members of a church on lunch, stacking up shot glasses of how many they drank. I've seen people, pictures put on Facebook uh, and out there, you know, where there are a bunch of church people are out there having a, having a, a beer fest. And, and one of them says, here, it's okay. I don't have to teach the Bible today. See, you probably would teach it better drunk than you do, probably sober, but that's okay. Steve Rackeen had a bunch come in here from a church uh, out in Lee Summit, someplace, one of those big monstrosities, and they have a ministry called Bible, Beer in a Bible. Want to know if Steve wanted to go. Steve said, no, I don't read the Bible, but I do like beer, so I'll go with you. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Both the political system and the religious system are completely compromised and corrupted, just like it was with the nation of Israel. And everybody, you know, you know, and, and again, I, when we look at the coronavirus and the, and the pandemic and all that, I have all the respect. You do what you need to do. Be safe. Be careful. It's a, it's a killer. I get that. Uh, I had it. Barb had it. Many of you, most of you have had it. And, you know, and we're, we're still here. And I understand you want to be careful. We have people in our church that have older folks, and you need to take care of those older folks. I, 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 I'm, this is not a criticism to anybody or anything. I'm just making an observation. Because the pandemic canceled out a lot of good Christians who should have used the opportunity for ministry and didn't because they hid under the claws of the coronavirus. Now, let me ask you a question. History. I know this is rotten. I know this is dirty pool. How do you play dirty pool? Dirty cue sticks? Or, I don't, anyway, but it's a thing where I know this is rotten, but let me ask you a question. Do you know how many active pandemics were in the day of Jesus? Do you? Do you have any idea how many active diseases, pandemics, were spreading through the Middle East when Jesus was alive? I mean, see, we get the pandemic and COVID-19 and everybody locks himself in a room someplace and says, well, I can't go out or I can't minister or I can't do that. Wouldn't it have been a terrible... You know, leprosy was the greatest pandemic that they had in the nation of Israel and all through the Middle East at that time. You know how you got that? Getting close to somebody that was dirty, didn't bathe. It was rampant. What would you have thought if Jesus wouldn't have went to the cross or did what he ministered because of the fact he didn't want to get it? Could you see Jesus on the cross when they're crucified, asking the Roman soldiers to socially distance the two thieves from him? (laughs) 
we're coming to the place in our world, and you better get this, where the coronavirus is going to look like a church picnic with what's coming our way. And it's not because of the Democrats or the Republicans. It's because God is finished with this nation. This nation has turned his, their back on God's Word. And who doesn't know from history? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who doesn't know from history that when God judged His people, He judged it two ways, with other nations and disease? Well, you lost that. You know why? You have no comparison. Now, you know me. I hate the 20th century. I do. The 20th and the 21st century, I hate it. I, I, I deplore it. Yet I accept the fact that I was born in 1950. I thank God that it was 1950. I feel terrible for some of you young kids that were born in the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s. I, I feel bad for you because you have no real comparison of anything. I try to do my best to give you a comparison because I was born at a time in 1950 where I actually saw the things the way they were and where they went to where they are today. I thank God. For that. That's the only redeeming fact that I was born in the 20th or 21st century. I hate it. I, I hate most of God's people today are cowards. They take God's salvation and they do nothing with it. They take the free gift of God that God gave them that he sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, agonized for them, and just say thank you. But when it comes to paying it back, no thank you. I wanted to be born in the 17th century. I'd hang out with the Waldensians, buddy. I'd get along with them. I'd hang out with Count Zindendorf and the Moravians. I'd get along with them. I'd do fine with the Catherii and the Polyseans. Because they were people that were willing, to, no matter what was out there. And what they were facing was a hundred million times worse than any pandemic we'll ever go through. And you know what? They stood strong. Because they had the book inside them. And the reason why they had it so deeply inside them, because there was a church that was trying to take it from them and killing anybody they found with it. That'll shake up your Sunday morning visit to church, won't it? What would you do this morning if next week you, you, you found out that they're going to meet you and arrest you up at the front door and take you someplace and put you in a camp if you came to church, but then I told you to have the back door open that you could sneak in and we could still have church. Would you come? Would you? Would you come? Or would you have a thousand excuses? Well, I, you know, i got to cut the grass and I can't, you know. Uh, would you come? Because that's exactly what those people were faced with back there and it never slowed them up. There's something wrong with us today. And yet we want to pretend. I don't mean this in a bad way, and you ought to do it. You'll take your mothers out today, and you'll take her to dinner probably, and you'll buy her flowers and give her gifts and everything and honor her, and that is a great thing, and I think you ought to do that. How about the Waldensians mothers who wouldn't deny Christ and they took their little kids and threw them into a pen of hungry pigs. And as those little kids screamed and cried for mommy to get them out, all mommy had to do was denounce Christ. And she didn't. And you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ alongside of those kind of people. Say, I don't, I don't like this kind of preaching. That's because there's a difference between me and you. I understand the reality. And I saw in the lessons of history that when, when the 1900s came around, there were, there were no churches, Baptist churches like this. You only had three groups of Baptists in America. You had the Southern Baptist, which was the biggest. You had the GRB, and then you had the American Baptist. And uh, they were totally corrupt. The Southern Baptists in their seminary in Louisville were teaching that Adam and Eve was a fable. The flood didn't happen. They were totally corrupt, and it, it, it just destroyed the Baptist mindset at that time. Yet at the same time, you had thousands and thousands of Bible believers out there that knew what they believed just like we do. And then God raised up a man to make sure you, you and I would have that Bible, and his name was J. Frank Norris. 
And if you don't know who J. Frank Norris was or what he did, it's that you have the Bible you got in your hand, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because he broke the back of the Southern Baptist Convention. He took on the whole system. And when he broke out from them, he started what we know today as fundamentalism. Bible-believing churches. And he put a school up down there in Texas with big signs just to stick it in the eye. The only Bible college in America teaching the King James 1611 authorized version. He was hated. They tried to lynch him. They tried to shoot him. Guy came into his office one time in Texas and said, I'm going to call him up and said, I'm going to kill you this afternoon. He says, I'll be here at 4 o'clock. Guy came into the office, pulled a gun. He outshot him and shot him dead in his office. From that notoriety, he got to be known as the pistol-packing preacher. He was something else, but that's what God needed. You see, God needed a nuclear-power sledgehammer to break the back so you could have what you have today. My name is Bob Alexander. I've come from Canton, Ohio. I was trained at the Canton Baptist Temple. Dr. Harold Henniger was the pastor there. You know who Dr. Harold Henniger was? He's one of J. Frank Norris's boys. Wendell Zimmerman built the Kansas City Baptist Temple. He was one of the Wendell Zimmerman boys. Every Baptist preacher that built a great church during those 60s and the 70s all were out of J. Frank Norris's boys. There wasn't any neo-evangelical people. And what happened was he died in 1952 and then God raised up a man around 1947 to carry on his legacy, Dr. Peter S. Ruckman. And he carried that book for all of us. And he carried that thing through and kept us from going through. And I actually, I actually saw the guys who believed it. When I got saved and five, six, seven years later, they just dumped the book. I watched them all. Every one of those churches, every one of those pastors got educated, got connected with a college, got a doctor's degree, and dumped the book. And those two men that God used kept the book for us. And they weren't perfect. They were far from perfect. Somebody said, well, you know what kind of guys they were? Yeah, they were just like Moses and David. Yeah, I know what kind of guys they were. And you know what else? I know what kind of guy you are. So don't give me that. And what they did as they turned themselves over to dumping the book, they all began to take Baptist off their name and they all began to slide into the new era called neo-evangelicalism. And by doing so, stay with me, turn Christianity over to the most godless system that the world has ever seen, neo-evangelicalism. And I know, I can hear it right now. Well, I just think that's over the top. I just think you shouldn't say things like that. Why just they, you know what, you don't know what you're talking about. Do you understand anything about the Catholic neo-evangelical cord of 1994? Do you have any idea what took place then? Or are you just feeding off the propaganda that you get and what you think you know and know nothing about history? In 1994, the neo-evangelical leaders, which you, which you have aligned yourself with, made it in accordance with the Roman Catholic Church that together they would put away their doctrinal differences to evangelize the third millennium. Now, how do you like that? Now, if you think that will work and you think that's a good idea, <laughs> okay, good deal, I get it. And just like Israel, they lost everything that God had given them, and just like Israel connected themselves with Baal worship, now the Christianity of the New Testament has connected itself with a New Testament form of Baal worship. And Hosea chapter 8 verse 12 tells us that Hosea said, you know what's happened to Israel? The great things of God has now become the strange things to God's people. And he says, I have written unto him the greatest things of my law. I told you a minute ago about social drinking and the churches embracing it, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday preached in 1920. He single-handedly brought in prohibition. He preached against alcohol and drinking in any form. And he was the greatest evangelist probably in America in the 20th century. 
and he single-handedly brought in prohibition. When he died, they let his body in state in Madison Square Garden, and a New York Times reporter stood there and said in the two days or three days he was there, over three million people filed by his casket, and he said, I heard more times than I can ever remember somebody saying, I'd be in hell if it wasn't for that man. I'd have lost my family to drinking and alcohol if it wasn't for that man. And you know what? We've forgotten those things, haven't we? See? And you'd ask the average Christian today who was Billy Sunday, you'd ask the average Christian what he did in America, they wouldn't know. Some of you would know, but they wouldn't know. It's, it's one of those things that you just see the whole thing falling apart. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we find an incredible story on the church age and the history of the New Testament church. And in those three chapters, God breaks down church history 2,000 years into seven, easy to study, seven little breakdowns, chapter 1, 2, and 3. He starts out in Ephesus. That's Acts chapter 20 where the church age starts. And uh, he tells us about that one. That'll fit into history around 20 AD, Acts chapter 20, uh, up to around 180. The name means fully purposed. They were ready to do the job. That around 200, we see the Smyrna come in, 325, bitterness and death. And, of course, they're severely persecuted by the pagan Roman Empire. I mean severely persecuted. Then you have in the third one, the Pergamos in 325, uh, which means much marriage, and that's where the Roman Catholic Church begins to start under Constantine. Then you have Thyatira, beginning of the Dark Ages, 500 to 1000 A.D. And, of course, the great now they're afflicted not by pagan Rome but by the Roman Catholic Church. You have Sardis, that's around 1,000 to 1,500, and they mean red ones. They're severely butchered and killed. This is where the Albigenses and the Huguenots and the Waldensians paid the price. Then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 to 13, you have Philadelphia. It means brotherly love. And boy, this is where from 1500 to uh, 1900, this is where the King James Bible comes out, breaks the back through the Reformation of the Roman Catholic Church. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, God calls this church the church of the open door. And it's nothing more than the Bible that you're holding in your hands going around the world several times in a time in history where three quarters of the world have been won to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the Bible you hold in your hands. The next 400 years from when that Bible came out in 1611 is the greatest time of evangelism, the greatest time of missionary work. It's an incredible time. And, uh, you know, when you begin to look at the parallels, going back to history, when you begin to look at the parallels between the nation of Israel and America, God had a plan for both of them. When you stop to look at it, it's an incredible. Both Israel and America have God at their beginning through their founding fathers in America. Both have the Word of God at the beginning uh, through a King James 6 to 11 authorized version. That's what this Constitution was built on. Both, uh, both go through uh, uh, wars to establish their nation. We went through the Revolutionary War. They went through the wars with Joshua. Uh, both uh, uh, both uh, experienced a civil war north and south, 1860 to 1865 for us, the south Judah and the split of the kingdom. They had a civil war for the next 200 years. Both nations are incredibly blessed by God for the book that they hold dear to their hearts. And in time, in America, 1880 in America, both nations leave and forsake God and His Word and go into apostasy and the captivity of the world. And brother, let me tell you something. American Christianity right now as we know it is entering into that captivity. And God's people could care less. God had a plan for America. God had a plan for Israel. And in that history of America, God brought across seven great awakenings, seven great revivals to keep this country great. And you couldn't name those seven awakenings as a Christian. In your own country, you couldn't name those seven arrivals and those seven awakenings if your life depended on it. And you couldn't tell me when the first one started under who and when the last one stopped under who. This is your country. This is America, a Christian nation. And when God's people, when, thank you, when God's people should be gearing up, polishing their boots and sharpening up their bayonet to do the work of God, There's one word for Christianity, and I'm sorry. Get mad at me if you want. Coward. Coward. I'll let him put himself on the line for me, 
but I'll never put myself on the line for him. He, he, he went through all he went for me, but I'll never disrupt my comfort zone. Then in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14, 22, the last church period before the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4, Laodicea. And he says in that great chapter that this is the church, Laodicea means rights of the people. And it starts around 1900 and goes all the way up to the time period that we're living right now. And God tells us in this chapter, verse 16, 17, 20, I won't read it all to you, but he says this is the church of the closed door where the church at Philadelphia was the church of the open door. And this is our church period. This is the one I hate. This is one where he says, he says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the church we're in today. He says this church is a lukewarm church. It's not hot. It's not cold. And he says in verse 17, And because thou sayest I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not. This church is just like Israel. They didn't know it either. You know why? Somebody took their roots. Somebody took away their comparison. Now we've got churches that are filled across this country, across this city, and across the world with a bunch of good, nice people. I love them to death. They're wonderful people. They'll just never step outside their comfort zone to do one thing for God. And I'm telling you, He's coming. He says they're wretched, they're miserable, they're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. This church in verse 20 is the church of our own church. And it's all connected back to losing their roots. And he says the key to this church is the key of David. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And the key, I'll give it to the Philadelphian church, the key of David. You couldn't find five Christians that could tell you what that key is. I'll tell you something else. There's two T's of David in the Bible. Don't give me the one in Revelation chapter 3. Where's the other one at? You see, I have those keys. That's why I preach the way I preach. That's why I pastor the way I pastor. Now, I lose my car keys a thousand times a day. I have little, John does his too, he's shaking his head. I have little hooks on my thing there where when I come in, that's where I put my keys. If I don't, I'll spend the next hour looking for them. Somebody said you can buy a little thing that when you lose them, clap your hands and it'll beep. That's great, except I can't hear either. (laughs) I need something that shoots off a little flare up into the sky, you know, and parachutes down. And it's a thing where, but so I do, I lose my keys. I, I, I lost the keys to my car. I've locked the keys to my car in my car. And, you know, and I did it once, you know, and I called a guy, and he'd come out and $40, you know, to, for what? Two seconds, pop that thing up. So I paid him. You know what? Nice kid. So a week later, I do the exact same thing. I call the exact same guy. He comes out, pops it again. He charges me $35 this time. I asked him, I said, it was $40 last time. How come it's 35 He said, we give a discount for stupid. It's all right. I'll save $5 when I got me a Big Mac. I'm good with that. But anyway, it's a thing where I'm telling you, I lose those keys. I'll tell you, I'm not losing this key. This is one key I'll not lose. You may not want it on your key ring. You may not want to put it into the lock to turn the latch. I don't care. I know what the key of David is. It was a reason and success of Philadelphia. And I've told you many, many times, I am trying to build a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean church age. Not everybody's going to want that. I get it. I understand. I get it. I get it. And I'm telling you right now, today, I just wanted to lay out the groundwork for an understanding of what's wrong and what's going on and the fact that we're gonna, we have lost our understanding of worship. We have done exactly what Israel did We took the object of the brazen serpent and then they gave it a devil's name and worshipped it. And we have lost our purpose. We have lost our, we've lost our perspective. We've lost every aspect. And we worship the wrong things today. We worship our houses. We worship our clothes. We worship people. 
We worship rock stars. We worship athletics. We worship this. We worship that. We worship our car. We worship our money. We worship everything but where our worship should be. And to many of God's people, this message, just like the message the prophets spoke to Old Testament Israel, it'll fall on deaf ears. But I'm telling you, in the next four years or so, it will become the most important truth that will get you through what's coming. America, as we knew it, will never be back. It never will. One of the great lessons in history is once you lose it, you can't ever get it back. And that's true of New Testament Christianity. It was true of Israel. The demise led to their captivity. And you can look at the five stages of the nation of Israel from their from their formulation, through their calling out, through their establishment, through their demise. And you can look at the same five things in America. It's true of any nation that rejects God and His truth. And I'm, I'm okay with all of it. I am. I am. I'm not... I'm not preaching a message to do. Maybe you're taking it that way. And that would question myself, why are you scared about it? Didn't God say that he'd supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Did he mean that or did he not? Maybe it's the fact that you have been claiming that at all, so now it's kind of a quick start for you. I mean, I've looked at the captivity that Israel would end. You know what? You take Daniel one of the greatest men that loved God and God honor. You take Ezekiel, you take Isaiah, you take those guys. Uh, they were all great guys, but you know what? They got taken into the captivity just like we will. And if I were you, you know what I'd do to survive? I'd start finding out how they survived. But that's the only way you're going to survive. You see, I wouldn't be so upset with it and care about it so much if it was just the government. Because all governments go through, and I may not see it in my lifetime, but uh, somebody will overthrow it, and it'll go back to another form of government. If it was just that, I wouldn't care. But you see, the thing that really get me in this thing is the devil's behind this. Because he's setting this thing up for himself, and he hates not only the Jews, but he hates you. And you better have something bigger than him hanging around your neck instead of your crucifix. I understand what God's doing, and I'll be honest with you, I thank God in all things. I don't care. It, it makes me mad sometimes and just because of the thing that I'm human, but at the end of the day, I don't care. You know what? This old world's not my home. Maybe it's yours. Amen. Maybe you got your roots down deep here. I'm sorry, I don't. If God pulled this thing out this afternoon and we all went home to heaven, he'd make my day, just as simply as that. Just hope we can do it after we eat. So next week, I want to I explain to you how we got into this mess, and I want to show you the seven things that we have lost or a man will lose when he gives up his Bible that God gave us, and we trade it for the devil's Bible, and then we align ourselves with the world system, and we lose everything as Christians we could ever lose all out of John chapter 4, built around the number one thing you better have in your life and you better understand it after you get saved, your worship. And it was said over 100 years ago, I read it, not, I mean, I didn't read it 100 years ago, it was written when I read it years ago. No nation on the face of this planet ever lasted past 200 years after rejecting God and His Word. And whether you know it or not, America, like Israel, Second Chronicles 5, verse 3, have been without the true God, have been without a teaching priest, and been without a law for 140 years. So, years ago, I watched, as a young man in my early 20s, Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football was the only night they had football back then. And it was the premier time. All this stuff today, it's fun and it's good, but you had to be back in the 70s and watch Lynn Swan. You had to be back then and watch the Pittsburgh Steelers. Watch these guys play. I mean, and the two great announcers back then was Don Meredith and Howard Cosell. 
Dandy Don Meredith was a football player himself. I don't remember who he played for, but he played football, and he was now a sports announcer, and he was the life of it. Howard Cosell was about as boring as you could listen to, but he knew facts of football unbelievable. And the two of them made a great team. I don't think Don's dead, but I know Howard is. And every night, we'd watch Monday Night Football. Oh, it was great. I, I mean, my, I mean uh, Larry Zonka with the, uh, with the Florida guys, uh, the, the Dolphins. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, Bob Greasy and those guys. Oh, man, they were my heroes. I, I remember watching Lynn Swan play, and I'll tell you, it's just unbelievable. And it's a thing where every time at the end of that football game, when it was shutting down, Don Meredith would sing this little song, and it closed it out every time, and I've never forgotten it. Howard would t- be talking about what a great game it was and everything, him and Danny Don, and then to start to show the things going off the air, and old Danny Don would say this, turn out the lights, the party's over, and it'd go off the air. So I'm here to tell you, turn out the lights, the party's over. And I'm telling you right now, you better gear up yourself, you better gear up your marriage, you better gear up your family. Because this thing's going to come home like a hungry giant coming home for lunch. They're going to gear up everything they can. Because the devil is running this thing from behind the scenes and he wants to set this thing up and he knows exactly what he needs to have and he knows exactly what he needs to get rid of to have it. And we are right in the crosshairs. They're taking away every free speech you've got. There'll be a time, and they already hinted at this several years ago, where every preacher will have to submit his message on Sunday morning to have it approved before he can preach it to his people. Now, I'm a Christian, and I can't tell you what I would say about that to you, but uh, you can probably use your imagination knowing me the way you do. You say, well, they'll put you in jail. Prison ministry always sounded exciting to me. Why don't you come with me, and we'll start one together. Maybe we can be cellmates. Oh, no, no, not you. No, no. Anyway. All right, next week, we're going to get into it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you.